Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ, and welcome to the audio ministry of Christ Church of Livingston County. The following are three excerpts from a Covenant Renewal worship service led by Pastor Dirk DeWinkle, teaching elder at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. this morning is from Proverbs 21 verse 6. Getting treasures by a lying tongue is the fleeting fantasy of those who seek death. God ordains appropriate means by which treasures may be obtained. God tells us how we are supposed to go forward in life to seek his blessings. Faithfulness, diligence, and hard work are some of these means. So is inheritance, which is a true blessing from God. But here we see that a lying tongue is a false hope for advancement in wealth. Those who hate God love death, and it is one of their dreams that they will get ahead by deceit. They think that they can cheat justice and their neighbor by twisting the truth. And this applies in multiple ways. One can lie in order to sell a car, in order to buy a house, to keep a job, or to get a wife. There are many kinds of treasure. But seeking wealth in this way also has the appearance of wisdom. It looks like you can get ahead a lot faster by padding the truth. But the road it sets you on inevitably leads to death. In the moment, a lie can seem like a good idea, especially a little white lie. But the consequences grow. Lies create confusion. And the more you lie, the darker the picture becomes, until you find yourself in a place where you can't see the forest for the trees. One lie leads to another, and before you know it, You're so deep in it that there's no way out, except one, and that is death. Confess, repent, and die to your sins. And then God grants clarity. God shows you the truth. And God gives life for death. This reminds us of our need to confess our sins, so if you're willing and able, please kneel. Every year, January 6th is Epiphany. It comes on the day after the 12th day of Christmas. And this is a long-standing feast day in the church, which goes back to the 3rd century. Epiphany comes from a Greek word, which means manifestation. And traditionally, the manifestation of Jesus as God at his baptism is celebrated at at Epiphany. But it also commemorates the coming of the wise men and the manifestation of Jesus as the Messiah to the Gentiles. So we find ourselves in the the book of Acts, and it's entirely appropriate that we find ourselves in this 
portion of the book of Acts, chapter 12, verse 25, to chapter 13, verse 13, because this is where Saul and Barnabas are called on their first missionary journey to the, to the Gentiles. Saul, the apostle to the Gentiles, becomes the principal character of the book for the rest of the book in today's text. We pick up with Barnabas and Saul in Jerusalem, where they had gone to deliver the gifts from the church at Antioch for the famine. And incidentally, this trip is the same trip that corresponds with, with Paul's account of his, his, his ministry and his life in Galatians 2, when he says he went down to Jerusalem with Barnabas and Titus and met with Peter and James and John. And there, Paul says, when they saw the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me, as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter, when James, Cephas, or Peter, and John perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the uncircumcised. So this is Paul and Barnabas. They're on their, their first trip. To their, well, it's Paul's second time in Jerusalem. He had been away from Jerusalem for uh, 10 years, 11 years. And, and when he was there, he, he meets Peter and, and James and John. And they give him the right hand of fellowship and send him out as one who has a ministry for the Gentiles. And we see uh, that very shortly, he, Paul is officially called and ordained for this calling. So after Barnabas and Saul are done with their duty in Jerusalem, the first thing that happens is they return to Antioch. And this is starting at Acts 12, verse 25. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry, and they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, having feasted, fasted, and prayed, and laid hands on them, they sent them away. Here we read of Barnabas and Saul's calling to missionary work. And the, the context of this in the, in, in the book of Acts, the bigger context, is we met Saul back in chapter 6, and he was at, he was at Stephen's stoning, they were laying his coats down at his feet, and then in chapter 8 he persecuted the church, and in chapter 9 God stopped him in his tracks at the, the, on the Damascus road, and he was converted, then he spent three years in Damascus, which is north, north of uh, north of Israel and, and Arabia, and then he went down to Jerusalem briefly, met with the apostles, and then, and in fact, he couldn't at first. They, they, they knew he was attacking the church, and Barnabas had to introduce him to the apostles. Um, then, he, uh, then he had to leave because the Hellenists were trying to kill him, so he went back to Tarsus, and, and he disappears off the scene, off the stage for several years, like 10 years. And uh, in chapter 11, Barnabas goes back to find him in Tarsus and brings him to Antioch, and then Antioch becomes Saul and Barnabas. It's their home church. This is, this is their sending church. And he ministered in Antioch for about a year before the prophet 
uh, the prophet Agabus prophesied that there was going to be a famine, and they sent Barnabas and Saul with gifts to the church in Jerusalem. So, so we see Saul being established as a, a ruler, a leader, a leader in the church. And we just reference his trip to Jerusalem. And then once they're back at Antioch, a text says that the Holy Spirit specifically called Barnabas and Saul for a special work. They were ordained they, after they had fasted and prayed, when, after they, they were in the process of ministering for the Lord and, 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 and praying, fasting, and, and God, God sends a, a prophecy and, and, and he, he separates out Barnabas and Saul specifically for a special work. So they lay hands on them and they sent them away. And then in verse 4 we read, uh, So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. So they traveled 130 miles across the Mediterranean Sea to get from uh, Seleucia, which was, which was the, the port city for Antioch, to Salamis, which was on the, the, the eastern side of the island of Cyprus. So they traveled 130 miles across the Mediterranean, and remember that Barnabas was a native of Cyprus when we were introduced to Barnabas. This is way back in chapter 4, right at the beginning of the church, right after Peter had proclaimed the gospel with John, and, and, and remember they had healed the, 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 the lame man, that then the, the Sanhedrin had arrested them, and then they let him go. And the next thing we read is Barnabas shows up, and he, he sells property that he had on Cyprus, and he lays the proceeds at the apostles' feet. And he's praised for this. So he was a, he was a Levite from Cyprus. So he had sold property there, laid it at, at the apostles' feet. And, and, and here we see that God uses circumstances to influence us. Their, 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 their mission, it's not, it's, it's not random that they go to Cyprus. God, God used Barnabas and his connections there to bring Paul and Barnabas and John Mark to Cyprus. The next thing we read was that they preached the gospel in the synagogues of Cyprus. And they brought John Mark, Barnabas's relative. John Mark was a cousin of, of Barnabas. So again, God's using circumstances. There's, these people are they, they're interconnected. They have relationships that, that are deep, that go back. I mean, family or familial relationships, uh, ownership of, of property. They, they, there's, God uses circumstances to drive and move us in our world. And, and, and he calls us to do things for him in the place that we are at. So they brought the gospel to Barnabas' homeland. And then the next thing, where did they go? They go to the synagogues, the synagogues of the Jews. Because why? Because the gospel is, 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 is from the Jews. It's, it's for the Gentiles, but it's from the Jews. And so they first and always consistently bring the gospel first to the synagogues of the Jews. These are the people that should know what they should be looking for a messiah they should be they should know the scriptures they should search the scriptures they should hear the message of the old testament fulfilled in the message of the gospel and this is and again this is just natural for barnabas and for saul and for john mark to do this saul was saul was a pharisee 
Barnabas was a Levite. He was, he, was a, he was a Jew. And John Mark was an, a Jewish Jew. He was from the nation of Israel. He was, his hometown was Jerusalem. We remember Peter had gone to Mark's mother's house when he was let out of prison in Jerusalem. When, when Herod had put him there and the angels let him go, where did he go? He went to the, 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 the house of the mother of John, of John Mark. So, so this is also a theme in how the gospel goes out. As Paul says in his later epistles to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. The gospel is, is proclaimed first, where? In Acts? First it goes to the temple, it goes to the Jews first. But, but then gloriously, it doesn't stop there. When the Jews reject Christ, the gospel is for the world. So so always pro proclaims the good news of Jesus as Christ, first to the chosen people, but then he goes out. And next we see that they went through the island to Pathos, on the opposite side of the island from Salamis. In fact, the, the island of Cyprus is about 140 miles long. If you go from the very far point to the other very far point, it's kind of long and narrow. But from, from uh, uh, Salamis to Paphos, which is where they're going next, it's, it's, it's through the main body of the island, and it's 80 miles across as the crow flies. I'm, I'm sure they weren't flying like crows. So they, they, they worked their way across the, the island, and there they encountered their first recorded opposition, which came in the person of Elamas, uh, starting in verses 6 to 8. Now when they had gone through the island to Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus who was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elamas, the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So the Roman authority, the proconsul, on Cyprus was Sergius Paulus. The text tells us he's an intelligent man. He desires to hear the message of the gospel. He hears. I mean, he's the, he's the ruler of an island. It's not a, too big of a place. And he's hearing this, this, these rumbling. Something's going on. There's these guys walking around. There's, they're like, they're changing things. People are hearing and people are getting excited. And so, so they had gone through the island to Paphos. They, they traveled 80 miles by foot to get to the other side, which is where... Uh, where Sergius Paulus was, and when, by the time they get here, their reputation has preceded them, and, so, and he calls them by name. He called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But there was a Jewish false prophet opposed to the gospel, Elamas, Elamas. He, he, he had obtained the ruler's ear. He didn't want to lose his status or the wealth that it brought. And so he lied about Jesus and the gospel. He denied Barnabas and Saul's message. And we know this because of Saul's accusation. Uh, Elamas is he's a false prophet. In fact, he's, he's, he's a magician. He's a, but in, in the bad sense of the term. We have the magi, right, who come and bring the, their wise men. 
Um, and and, and, and the, the same word is used for elamos, who's called a sorcerer, a magi. But, uh, but he's, he's further defined as a false prophet and a sorcerer, uh, like a wizard. Because the, the word elamos in, in Arabic actually means like wizard, which is, their text tells us that too. So, so they, they come to Sergius Paulus and they find him poisoned against the gospel because of this false prophet. But here we see Saul's authority established and proved. Verse 9. Then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intensely at him. From now on in this narrative, Saul is called Paul. The only time the name Saul comes back up from this point, chapter 13, verse 9, to the end of the book, is when Paul is telling others about what Jesus said to him when he was on the Damascus road. And he he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That's what Jesus said to him when he was on the Damascus road. And so for the rest of the book, Luke no longer calls Paul Saul. He calls him Paul. And this is where Paul finally steps out in his particular calling. Way back in chapter 9, at his conversion, Jesus told Ananias that Saul was his chosen vessel to bear his name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. And here it is that filled with the Holy Spirit, he takes on his Greek name, as he bears witness before this secular Roman ruler, and Paul attacks the lies of the hard-hearted Jewish false prophet directly. He looked at Elymas intently, is what the text says. He looked him directly in the eye, and this is what he says, verses uh, 10 and 11. And said, O full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now, indeed, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. Notice the boldness that the Spirit brings, and the perception And the conviction that Paul has, his wrath is fully justified. He is a faithful messenger of the will of God. And as he curses the sorcerer, God justifies Paul in the immediate fulfillment of the curse. Continuing on in verse 11. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. This brings about the conversion of Sergius Paulus. The teaching of the Lord is astonishing. Jesus Christ, alive from the dead, is breathtaking. We don't think about this often enough or clearly enough. The gospel of our Lord is that Jesus Christ was God, born of a virgin. He died and he was raised from the dead. 
A man died and came back from the dead, and he lives still. This gospel is breathtaking. And the gospel, witnessed in the power of the Holy Spirit, cannot be countered. It cannot be invalidated. It cannot be put down or argued against. Elamas has no answer to Paul. In the Holy Spirit, Paul curses him, and Elamas is struck with the same punishment that Paul went through at his conversion, blindness. In his pride and rejection of the clear light of the gospel, Elamas was thrown into utter darkness. A mist came over him. He was thrown from his high position to the place of needing to be led around by the hand. And here Paul's calling and his authority are established. He has effectively taken the baton from Peter, and now he is set to run with it. it by human standards, it would seem that Barnabas should have been the one to take the lead here. It would seem that way. I mean, his, he was senior to Paul in his position. He was there at the very beginning. In fact, he was the one who had to introduce Paul to the church because Paul started out as a persecutor of the church. He was an ambassador of the apostles to Antioch. He, remember, the, the apostles had sent Barnabas to Antioch to check it out. They heard about the church growing in this foreign city, and, and they were excited about it, but they just they, they wanted to make sure that things were good. And Barnabas goes there, and he is he's an, an ambassador of the, of the 12 apostles. And then he is the one who had gone to go fetch Paul from Tarsus and bring him back into the world scene. And for about four years now, Barnabas has been Paul's mentor. Paul and Barnabas have been working closely together. But Barnabas has been the mentor, and Paul has been the student. And here they were on Cyprus, on Barnabas' home turf. Barnabas should have been the one who takes the lead. But despite all of this, Paul was God's chosen vessel. He was the one filled with the Holy Spirit. He was the one filled with a message of condemnation and the gospel for Elamos. He was the one filled with the power to work a miracle and the authority to take charge of the mission trip. When they were set aside, they were set aside as Barnabas and Saul. Now, up till now, in the book, Peter's really been the one who's doing all these things. Peter's been the main guy. He's, he's the one who's proclaiming the gospel in the temple. Peter was the one who's healing the lame man. Peter was set free from prison twice. Peter rebuked Ananias and Sapphira and Simon, the, sor Simon the, uh, the sorcerer. Peter laid hands on the Samaritans and bestowed the Holy Spirit on them. Peter healed Aeneas and Tabitha. And Peter brought the gospel to the first Gentile, Cornelius. But now it is time for Paul to take the stage. 
Luke has been very artful in the telling of this story in the book of Acts. He interlaces the story of Peter and Paul in the narrative. And it's been an effective tool. Saul was converted and started ministering back in chapter 9, but then the narrative shifts back to Peter until the Gentiles are accepted by the Jerusalem church. And then back to Barnabas and Saul in Antioch, chapter 11, and then right back to Peter and Herod in chapter 12. And then back here in chapter 13, we finally come to Paul rising in his ascendancy in the church. Another interesting connection here is John Mark. Notice John Mark's prominence in the last two chapters. Peter went to Mark's mother's house in Jerusalem. Then John Mark goes with Paul and Barnabas from home, Jerusalem, to Antioch. He travels with them. And then he goes on a mission trip with them. And John Mark was family to Barnabas, Saul's mentor, which explains his presence on this trip. But he was also very close to Peter. We know this because when Peter was on the streets in Jerusalem, where did he go? He went to his closest friends to John's house, John Mark's house. And church history teaches us that eventually Mark traveled extensively with Peter. Mark became Peter's mouthpiece. He was Peter's interpreter when Peter traveled. He was Peter's scribe, and he wrote Peter's letters for him. Mark's gospel is considered to be Peter's perspective of Christ's life, written by Mark in Rome at the request of the Romans to whom Mark was translating for Peter. He'd been interpreting ter interpreting. Peter's message for the Romans, and finally they begged him to write it down, and he did. So John, Mark, and Peter are closely tied. Now John, Mark, and Paul are closely tied. And in all of this, Paul is, is, is taking, taking charge. So now the gospel goes out, and now Paul is in earnest about spreading it among the Gentiles. Remember the projection of the book of Acts. Remember it starts out... With, with the apostles and Jesus, and Jesus goes into heaven, and they're in this little room, right? And then they, they elect Matthias, and, and then from that room, God sends the Holy Spirit, and it goes out into Jerusalem, Jerusalem a little bit, and, and they end up staying at the, the porch of Solomon at the temple. They were in the temple. That's the temple, preaching the gospel, the gospel of the temple. And then, then they get persecution at the temple, and, and finally the Jews reject it and, and murder Stephen, and then the gospel goes out. It goes out to Samaria and Judea, and then eventually it makes its way up to Damascus and, and Antioch. And it's, it's always out, outward going, outward going. And now Paul is finally in earnest about spreading the gospel to the Gentiles. This is the continuing story of Jesus Christ. And this story is about the establishment of the gospels and Christ's authority going out from, the temp from, well, from his apostles to the Jews and then to the world. And Paul is a major player in this. I mean, he wrote many of the books in the New Testament. This is also the work of God. This isn't just Paul and Peter. This is the Holy Spirit in Peter. This is the Holy Spirit in Paul. It is the Holy Spirit who fills Paul. It's, it's the Holy Spirit who enables him. And from this point on, Paul is preeminent in Acts. It's no longer to be Barnabas and Saul. From now on, it is Paul and Barnabas.
In fact, in our next verse, Barnabas is even left out completely. It's simply Paul and his party. Verse 13. Now when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. So Paul's ministry on Cyprus is completed for now. And they set sail for Perga. So they go north in the Mediterranean Sea. They land in Turkey. And then Mark, Mark leaves them. He returns back to Jerusalem. And we aren't told specifically why John leaves. But we do see later on that Paul wasn't particularly pleased about it. Because when Paul and Barnabas go to set out on another missionary journey, they have a dispute about it. And we'll get, get into that later. But it probably had something to do with the fact that Paul was so boldly and openly pursuing Gentiles with the gospel on Cyprus. This is new. This is different. What Paul's been doing on Cyprus is a new thing. Uh, there were some Gentiles, friends of the Jews, who had been drawn to the church through, like Cornelius was a friend of the Jews. His household, they were Gentiles, but they were they lived in Palestine. They, they, they loved the Jews. They, they, they knew that they needed a, a Savior, a Messiah. They were looking for him. And P Peter brings the Gospels in there. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. The Sergius Paulus isn't Cornelius. Sergius Paulus is a Roman leader in a Roman province, Cyprus. And Paul comes and he preaches the Gospel. And he condemns lies and falsehoods in, 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 in uh, Elamas. And so, this is a new thing. And, and John Mark was a Jewish Israelite. Remember the separate, separation between the Hellenists and the Jews? Hellenists and the Jews. The, the, the Hellenists being Greek-speaking Greek Jews. Jews that were, they, they were Jewish in their religion. They were Jewish in their nationality. They were circumcised and they're Jewish in their practice of religion. But they were Greek speakers and they lived in the Greek world. And, and John Mark was a Jew from Jerusalem, a Jew from Israel, an Israel, a Hebrew language, an Aramaic language speaking Jew, somebody who who lived in in the construct of the temple and the high priest and, and, and this whole culture. So he was not a Hellenist. And it may have been a hard adjustment for him to make. Remember how difficult it was for Peter to wrap his head around it with Cornelius. I mean, God had to send him uh, a vision three times in a row and then say, hey, there's guys knocking on your door. You need to go with them and I'll explain this to you. You'll, you'll get it eventually. And Cornelius was a friend of the Jews. But Paul is getting it. It's clicked in Paul's head. He's, he's realized the emptiness of the Jewish system because he was in the highest echelons of it. He was sent out by the Sanhedrin on a mission to destroy the church. He lived that life. And he knew how empty and completely dead it was without Christ. And now here he's getting that this gospel is for the Gentiles every bit as much as it is for the Christians. He understood the grandiose nature of the gospel. He knew it was for all men. 
And so we leave him for today on the shores of a new frontier, Turkey, ready to take on the world with a word, but that word was the word. Jesus Christ, King of heaven and earth, all authority in heaven and earth belongs to him. So in all of this, we see that God calls us where we are at. He called Paul and Barnabas from Antioch. He provides inspiration. He accomplishes his will in us. But that said, we must answer the call. We must be faithful. When God called Saul and Barnabas, what were they doing? They were ministering to the Lord and fasting. Then when they were separated, they fasted and prayed and were ordained and sent out. We need a little more of that kind of service in our lives. Fasting and prayer are powerful. God works in and through these vehicles. Next, God gave Barnabas and Saul the willingness to go. When God calls you to do something, it may not be easy. Ship travel is not necessarily safe in the Roman world. Telling the gospel to strangers, to kings, to rulers is not easy. Standing before rulers is intimidating. But Paul and Barnabas go, they do, and they say what God is telling them to go, to do, and to say. And finally, God grants his presence. We've seen this all through the book of Acts. Paul is filled with the Holy Spirit. And by the Spirit, he convicts Sergius Paulus and confounds Elymas. He's established in boldness to speak truth and to go on wherever God will send him and call him. This takes courage, but God blesses courage. Be bold to stand up for Jesus, and God will establish you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, let's pray. Jesus came into a dark world, a world covered with the lies of false prophets and false gods, with, with sorcerers and oppressors. Into this world, God revealed his son and brought the light of truth. That light shines brightly in Jesus, and God brings this truth to all nations. The Gentiles truly do see a great light. The Magi recognize the king's star. Sergius Paulus is astonished at the teaching of the Lord. The truth that Jesus brings is that God has done a marvelous thing. He has redeemed us from our sin and given us a way to be free from the condemnation we deserve. The good news is that though we are guilty of sin, though we are liars, and though we are adulterers and fornicators, though we are selfish and petty, though we hold grudges and are spiteful and bitter and angry, God loved us anyway. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In death, Jesus draws us to him. 
On the cross, His light shines on a hill. And on the cross, our sin is forever expunged. But death, gloriously, could not hold Him. So now He sits in heaven at God's right hand, and His light shines in all the earth, in the Bible, and in His people, by His Spirit. Repent of your sin, believe in your Lord, and know His forgiveness, which is sealed to you at this meal, in Jesus' name. Amen. Christ's body broken for us. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to these excerpts from the worship service of Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in these messages, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact Pastor Dirk DeWinkle through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.